Ordinarily, I would ask you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We've been going through 1 Timothy for like a year now. Uh, but curveball, turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. For a Father's Day message, we are going to look to the book of 1 John chapter 3. Uh, and as you're finding your way to 1 John chapter 3, just understand that uh, really for Father's Day at Harvest, we try and make the dads feel loved and appreciated as we remember them and everything they are to us. But our highest goal for today is to make our Heavenly Father feel loved and appreciated. Amen? Uh, we want Him to know how much we love Him and how appreciative we are of His love for us. But here's the thing. We have to learn about how God loves us and, and if we're going to truly appreciate the love that He's given us. <clears throat> One of the ways that we show appreciation to fathers on Dad's Day is we give them presents. Uh, this week, all this week leading up to Father's Day, Lauren's like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, on like Wednesday, um, Lauren went out back to start the grill. I was on my way home and she went out back and I have this like hand-me-down grill, this charbroil grill that my, my father-in-law gave me. And I mean, it is in rough shape. It's probably like a hundred years old. It's just all deteriorating and it barely works, but hey, it gets the job done, right? And don't fix what's not broken. So Lauren goes out there, she lifts the top of the grill, and the top of the grill falls off. Dunk. The whole top falls off the grill, and she steps back, and she's like, oh, it's broken. So I got home, I went out there, and I'm like trying to fix it and putting the rusty screws back in, and she's like, do you want a new grill for Father's Day? I was like, yeah, there's the idea. So check it out. This is my Father's Day present. How do you like that? Yeah. That's a Home Depot Father's Day special six burner Brinkman grill with side burner, only $1.99. It's a bargain if you're looking for something still for dads. Check that out. I'm so excited about that. So I hope I've given you an idea. Next to your dad's, the Wednesday before Father's Day, you know, just tip your grill over and then that too can be yours. <laughs> right. No, I did not put it together. <laughs> I let a professional put it together. Well, we show our earthly fathers how much we love them by giving them gifts, and we really want our Heavenly Father to know how much we love Him. We're going to talk about the Father's love today, because God wants you to know how much He loves you. He also wants you to know how He loves you. If we don't understand how He loves us, we can't appreciate the love that He's offered to us. So we're going to be amazed by God's great love today. If you're a follower of Christ, listen, maybe that's all you really need to hear. Wherever you, whatever you're going through right now, maybe you just need to hear, hey, your father loves you. And if you come here today, maybe somebody dragged you here, it's Father's Day, come to church, all right, fine. Who knows? Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you don't know what you think about church or religion. Listen, I want you to understand the love that the Heavenly Father extends to you. So let's pray, and then we'll get into 1 John 3 together. Our Father... In heaven, holy is your name. We want you to feel loved and appreciated, and we want to understand the love that you have shown us. You want us to know the love of a perfect father in heaven. You are the only perfect father, and knowing your love fills this life with purpose and joy, and it fills the next life with eternal security. We ask that you would speak to us from your word, go to work in our hearts, teach us things, Lord, that we don't know. Remind us of things that we do know, but that we've forgotten. We pray that you would encourage your church. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, 1 John 3. <clears throat> 1 John 3. I hope you're there. Look, spy on your neighbor. And if they're not in 1 John 3, say, hey, slacker. Go ahead, say that to them. Say, hey, slacker, open your Bible. Come on. 1 John chapter 3, so you can check what's being said here. And to give you a little background on this book before we just dig right into it, the author is John. This is the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, okay, so remember, Jesus called a bunch of disciples to follow him. Do you remember how many there were? Pop quiz. How many disciples did Jesus call? There were 12. But then there was this inner circle of three. And so John was in the inner inner circle. He didn't just get to be in the 12, he got to be in the three. So from time to time, Jesus would be like, hey, yeah, 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 you nine stay here and the rest of you three, you come with me. So how cool is that? He was also the disciple Jesus loved. And here, this book was written late. It was one of the later books to be written. And he's uh, talking to the church about false teachers who are teaching false things about Jesus and making false converts. He wants to encourage the real Christians, that you're believing the right thing and that you really are a child of God. He also wants to challenge the false teachers saying you're not teaching the right things and he wants the false converts to know that you are not a true child of God unless you get with God's program. That's the purpose of the book. Encouragement for the true children of God and confrontation for those who are not. Check out chapter 3 verse 1 where it says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. We're just going to camp on this first verse in 1 John 3 here. And it begins by saying, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Understand that the love from God the Father has to be given to you. God has to extend his love to you. It's not automatically an entitlement the day you're born. He has to hand it to you. He has to bring it to you. He has to send it to you. It says, what kind of love the Father has given to us. Then it says that we should be called children of God. Understand that it's not enough for you to call yourself a child of God. So many people think that they're God's children, that God is their father just because they were born. But the Bible says God has to call you into his family. He has to give you his love. He has to call you into his family as his child if you're going to become a child of God. Now there's that one group. It says, little, it says what kind of love the Father has given to us that we're called children of God. That's one group. It says, and so we are. Then it says the reason why the world, now there's another group. The reason why the world does not know us. There's this group over here called the world. And this group is made up of people who don't know those children of God over there. The reason why the world doesn't know us, it says, is because it did not know him. Throughout this passage, him refers to Jesus. There's two groups. There's children of God who've been given God's love, who've been called into his family, and then there's the world. The world does not know the children of God, and the world does not know God's son, Jesus Christ two groups. John makes it simple. This group, that group. We learn something important about relating to God from this one verse. You can write it down. I wasn't born a child of God. You can write that into your bulletin if you're taking notes. It always helps to take notes. A more active listener means you'll remember more. 
But if there's this group of people who don't know Jesus and who don't know God and who don't know the church, the understanding is that you weren't born into this group over here. There has to come a point when you know him, when you come to know Jesus and you come to become one of the children of God. That happens at a point in time. So nobody is born a child of God. Now you might be saying, oh, I was raised in the church. My, my parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. Their parents were Christians. Well, then you should know what your Bible teaches. Your Bible teaches that you are not born a child of God. You are born again a child of God. It happens at a point in time. Everyone in the room was born in the circle called the world. You may have known a lot of people in that other circle, children of God, loved by the Father, called into his family, but you were born over here. And then the day came when you understood the truth about Jesus. Maybe that day is today. And you had to decide, do I know Jesus as Savior or not? I wasn't born a child of God, neither were you. The word the Bible uses to describe how we become God's family members, how he welcomes us into his family, is adoption. You're not a natural-born child of God. God has to give you his love and welcome you into his family through adoption. How many of you know somebody who's adopted a child? Raise your hand up if you or somebody you know has adopted a child. All right, cool. So uh, Lauren's sister and my brother-in-law adopted a child several years ago. So we got to see that amazing process unfold. We got to see their you know, anticipation as they started the process and then their endurance as they continued. And then when they traveled over to Africa and you know, they saw her and then they had to come home and then they had to go back and they had to get her. And, and just that like roller coaster ride. And wow, now I see this little niece of mine, Zoe, at parties, chasing her around, playing with her. And I remember the special love that her parents showed to her. That is the only kind of love that can get you in God's family. There's no automatic, of course I'm in God's family. It's not a given. He has to come for you. He has to select you. He has to bring you into his family. It's a special kind of adoptive love. You weren't born like that. Which is why the Bible says here, see what kind of love the Father has given us. That phrase there, what kind of, what kind of love, is actually, it was actually a, like a phrase that they used back, uh, the Greeks used it, and to say that it meant, it literally it was like, of what country? Like, where did that come from? Of what kind? It literally, it meant like, of what country? So maybe you've, you've said to your kids, maybe you've said, where did you get that? Have you ever said that to your children? Where did you get that? That's the idea here of this love. We're supposed to say, what? What country did that love come from that God has given to us? And how closely that ties to adoption, where you literally are often are going to a whole other country to bring somebody back into your family. That's what God did for you. Of what kind of love is this? Where did it come from? John Stott said, It's as if the Father's love is so unearthly, so foreign to this world, that John wonders from what country it may come. The word always implies astonishment. When you hear of God's love, how he looked down into the orphanage of this world and he saw rebellious, stubborn children, and he decided to call some of us into his family to sacrifice, we're supposed to be astonished. What love is this that God would... But here's the thing. 
if you don't understand that this is the starting point of your relationship with God, if you assume, oh, we've always been good. Of course God loves me. What's not to love? Why wouldn't he love me? If you thought, if you think you're, you've always been good with God, I've always been a child of his, then you don't get it. You don't get what he did to come and get you and to bring you into his If you think it's all good, you don't understand. You weren't born a child of God. This love had to come from another world to rescue you. When I think of things from another world, I think of the movie The Avengers. How many of you have seen the, the latest Avengers, The Age of Ultron? Check it out. So here's a picture of The Avengers, all right? Uh, now, now, somebody in this picture came from another world. Do you know who it is? Thor, Thor came from another world. Where's he from? He could like ride lightning and he's got this strange hammer that nobody else can pick up. And he's got a brother who's even weirder. What's his brother's name? Loki's got that staff. And so in the Age of Ultron, one main theme in the movie is that there's this thing in Loki's staff that they find, this like gemstone, and it's not from this world. And when they find it, they're like, oh, do you have any idea what we can do with this thing that's not from this world? And guess what? That's God's love. You're supposed to hear how God loved you, and you're supposed to say, wow, that's not of this world. He did what? But if you assume you just always had it, then you don't get it. We're supposed to step back in and marvel at what God has done to love us. Understand that this world is full of people who don't have this fatherly love from God yet. He's willing. He wants them to know it. And in the book of First um, John, John really wants you to ask yourself, do I have this relationship with God? Is he my father? Am I his child? There's some tests that he builds into the book. One of the tests is to understand that you didn't have it at birth. If you think you've always had it, you don't have it because you have to get it at a point in time. It says here, another test is, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. So one test is the people over here don't know Christ as who He is. And another one is they don't know us. They don't get church people. They don't get Christians. Are there some people in your life, maybe a family member, maybe a neighbor, who doesn't get your faith? Do you have people in your life who when you talk about Christ, they're just like, here you go again. And you're like this to them. Maybe you know people like that. They don't know you. That's, in essence, what it's saying. It says the reason they don't know us, the point is they don't get us. They don't get our family. They don't get what it means to be a child of God. And that's one test of whether or not you're a true Christian. You think you're all right with God, but you hate Christians, big red flag. You think God loves you, but you hate his church, huge red flag. You don't act like family with other Christians. And it's funny to think that the Christians are like this family and there's other people over there that don't get us. Do you know a weird family? Do you know a family that has traditions or customs or tra- whatever, and you're just like, they're weird. Maybe you're the weird family. I got to admit, my family is weird. Growing up, I was raised in a Polish family, so growing up, I would, I would go to the family parties and one of the food traditions we had is we would have this soup and it's, it's made of boiled duck blood. <laughs> Who else is from a Polish family? And you know exactly what this is. Yes, 
Indeed, it actually has a title. You can go to your grocer's freezer and pick it up today. It's called Sarnina. It's boiled duck blood. And when I was a kid, I was like, but it's just what we did. It's like, yeah, grandma put the duck blood soup out again. Let's all have some. And then as I got older and I started bringing other people to the family parties, they're like, what is that? And I'm like, duck blood soup. And they're like, they didn't get it. I still don't get it. Now that I know my Bible, I know from the Old Testament that's unbiblical. (laughs) So I don't drink it anymore. I get a pass. But it's weird. To other families, it's weird. That's the idea here. The idea is the people in this group called the world look at us like we're drinking duck blood soup. They're like, ugh, who are those Christians over there? And that's one way you can tell a person's not genuinely a child of God. They think children of God are weird. They don't want to be like that. But they're deceived. Most people assume God's their father. Most people assume they're going to heaven. Most people, like 0.05% of people will admit that they think they're going to hell. Most people think, God's my father and he loves me in everything I do. He loves me just the way I am. And the Bible says otherwise. I wasn't born a child of God, neither were you. Something has to change. Let's continue on to find out how that happens. It says in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that's Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Write this down. My father made me his child through his son. How can I know the love of the father? Well, understand I didn't have it at birth, but my father made me his child through his son. Let's talk back through that again in verse 1 says the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You have to first know the Son of God, Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a child of God. The way, when it says, see what kind of love the Father has for us, it's not like God's up in heaven blowing you, see what kind of love I have for you, I love you all. That's not the kind of love he has. It's not like he's throwing down big, huge teddy bears to the world. What kind of love is it? What is it that makes us stand back in astonishment as if this love came from Asgard? What is it? What is it? It's that he sent his son. It's that he sent his son from heaven to save you. When you get that Jesus came and you know him, then you're like, what love? What love? Which is why if you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have God's love. Well, that sounds awfully exclusive, Ryan. It sounds like that's kind of narrow-minded. What about, all right, well, does the Bible affirm that? It says in 1 John 2, 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. How can I know now that I'm over here as a child of God and I'm not over here as the world? The way you get from here to there is Jesus. Listen, this might be the most important thing you've heard all year. All of God's affections for you are bound up in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you know the Son, you know the love of the Father because all of His love is in the Son. If you reject the Son, you reject the Father. 
And this circle over here is filled with people who think they have the Father, but they don't have the Son, and they're deceived. They're deceived. This whole book is written to people who are deceived. And it's zeroing in on their heart and showing them, how can you have the love of the Father when you don't know the Son? It's supposed to be convicting. My Father made me His child through His Son. I have to know Him to know God. And when I do, it says here in verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. Present tense, I can know that I'm a child of God. Hey, (laughs) I've got a long way to go. But even though I sin, I know I'm a child of God. It calls me beloved. It lists me in this group of people who are loved by God the Father. It says we are God's children now. It says present tense, I am his child, but then it starts to look toward the future. This is exciting. It's an interesting way John goes about establishing this. It says, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So now there's this future tense me. But we know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So write this down. Jesus will appear. My father made me his child through his son. Well, if I know him now, I'm a child of God. But Jesus will appear. He is the coming son of God. That makes Jesus one of a kind. Well, what makes him so special? Jesus is the only natural-born son of God. Jesus is the only child of God who eternally bears the image of God. Do you understand that? He's the only child of God who eternally bears perfectly the image of God. He's one of a kind. And therefore, he's the only one who could represent the divine family and come into the world and bring people into God's family. He didn't become a son of God. He's always been the son of God. You and I have to be adopted into the family. God has to make you his son through his his son. And Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. So we can know him because he came once, but he's coming back to gather the family together. We can talk about the return of Christ for a whole year and not be done with the conversation. But here in this verse, what John wants you to understand is when Jesus comes back, you will be like him. What am I supposed to be excited about? Jesus coming back? Am I supposed to be confused about the end times and the rapture? No, you're supposed to be excited that when he comes back, you will be like him. God's plan to make you his child starts when Jesus brings you out of the world into the divine family. Then it culminates when Jesus comes back and you become transformed once and for all. Right now, the change has started. Through Jesus, you can be born again. Through Jesus, you become a new person. Through Jesus, you're being remade in the image of God, but the job's not done yet. Do you feel like you have a long way to go? you feel like God still has a lot of things that he's doing in your life? I do. I'm not the man I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not the father I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not the husband I'm supposed to be yet. I'm not the Christian I'm supposed to be yet. I'm far, far from finished. I'm not done yet. You can look to the person right next to you and say, you ain't done yet either. Go ahead, tell them. You ain't. I saw a kid just look to his, you ain't done yet. We're not done. We're not done. But listen, listen, Christian, let me encourage you. When Jesus comes back, you will be perfectly like him forever. You will be like the Son forever. 
Only Jesus can do that. My father made me his child through his son. Jesus will appear. Verse 28 of chapter 2 says there's only two reactions when Jesus comes back. Confidence that I am a member of God's family and I'm going home. Or I shrink back in shame because I'm not his family and I will never ever know the love of God the Father again. Many people live confused, not knowing which group they're in. Jesus will appear and then write this down, I'll become like him. I was created to bear his image. In Genesis, God made man in his own image. But we're not there. Sin marred the image of God. But one day we will be remade to be like him forever. It's easy to think back to past tense you, am I right? Do you ever think back to the person you used to be? Do you ever think back? Wouldn't you like to go back to 18-year-old you and have a conversation with that person? I mean, I'd love to sit down with 18-year-old me and just set me straight. That conversation would begin with me saying, listen, dummy. (laughs) Then I would set some things straight in 18-year-old me. But how cool would it be to have a conversation with future you? And the word the Bible uses to describe future you is glorified. You will be glorified. Mind, body, and soul perfected eternally forever. Imagine sitting down with the you who has been perfected once and for all, who's caught a glimpse of the heavenly city. Imagine sitting down with you from the future. We're supposed to have that confidence that it's coming, and we live like it's going to happen. We like to look into our future and figure out, you know, what, what's my future going to hold? Who am I going to marry? How long am I going to live? Where, like, the future's a mystery, but thankfully there are now apps that can help you figure out things about your future. Like, I found this app that shows me what I'm going to look like when I'm old. So here's a picture of me now. Do you want to see what I'm going to look like when I'm old? So check it out. Here's old me. <laughs> That's old me. Now I know. I don't have to wonder. I figured out my future. I was having fun with this app, and then I was like, well, I wonder what my wife's going to look like. I was curious. What, you're not curious what your wife's going to look like when she's older? So here's a picture of Lauren now. You want to see a picture of her when she's older? All right, here it is. This is what she's going to look like many years from now. (laughs) Did you really think I was going to put that older picture up there of her? Listen, how great of a love does the Father have for us? The Father made me His child through His Son, and I'm marveling at what His love will soon accomplish. He loves me, and He will make me like His Son forever. That blows me away. That love blows me away. So John talks about the present, then he talks about the future, then he turns back toward the past. So moving on to the next point, write this down. I wasn't born a child of God. My father made me his child through his son. Number three, my father took away my sins. Now we look to the past. How did this present and future reality come into being? My father took away my sins. In verse three it says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's a good verse. It says, hopes in him doesn't mean cross your fingers like, I hope I'm going to heaven. Hope in the Bible means a confident assurance that what God has promised, he will bring to pass. Did you get that? Hope means I know I'm going to heaven because God's promises will become reality. Whoever has that hope purifies himself, meaning there's an ongoing process that because Jesus is coming back, I'm leaving my life of sin behind. But it says here also, purifies himself 
as he is pure. Pure kind of means ceremonially clean. You've gotten yourself ready to go into the king's presence or, or the presence of a holy place. So not being pure means you're dirty. So check this out. This is like a filthy man. He's, he's out running and he's gotten himself completely filthy. That's what you are before Christ. It's one way the Bible describes your spiritual condition before Christ. You're impure. You're not washed. You're not ceremonially clean enough to go into God's presence. But then, through the blood of Christ, your sins can be washed away. Baptism depicts, shows that your sins have been washed away. You're no longer that. Another way to describe sin is not impurity, but it it goes on here in verse 4 to say, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So some words used to describe in 1 John in the Bible are, one word is, means missing the mark. So check this out. This is a picture of missing the mark. You didn't hit anything. If the bullseye represents knowing God forever, total miss. In this life, you are going to totally miss knowing God forever. Why? Because of sin. Sin is missing. There's a hit and there's a miss. And my sin means my life is going to miss God forever. Going to miss. Lawlessness is another word used for sin. It means breaking God's moral laws. So I'm going to be on trial because of my sin. Unrighteousness means veering from the standard. All these words are used in 1 John to to tell us our spiritual condition. The problem is there were these false teachers coming into John's congregation and saying they were in their sin. And they were like, but that's fine. I'm a holy man, a preacher of the word, and I can sin, and you can too. And they were false. They did not let Jesus take away their sins, and they weren't taking away the sins of others. But the point is, God gave us what we desperately needed. What is this love the Father has sent? What blows us away as if it's from another world that he sent his Son to do what? To be a Savior. To be a Savior. It says in verse verse 5, you know that he, Jesus, appeared, so now passed, to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. In the past, in the present, you are a child of God. In the future, you're going to become like the Son. Why? Because in the past, Jesus appeared to take away your sin. Well, what makes him so special? How come I can't follow one of the other religions? How come I can't just try it on my own? Because in him, there was no sin. The Bible says there's only been one person to walk the earth and never sin at all. His name is Jesus. Because Jesus is the only eternal Son of God, He can come into the world and bring you into God's family. Because Jesus is the only sinless person who's ever lived, He has the spiritual authority, the credentials to take you and to fulfill all righteousness on your behalf. Listen, even if today you were capable of never sinning again, God still wouldn't let you into heaven. Because you can't just stop sinning. You have to fulfill all righteousness. You have to be perfect and sinless to get into heaven. Only Jesus can make that happen. He's one of a kind. In him there is no sin. So therefore he came to take your sins away. The idea here is that something is obstructing your path to God. You're born into this group called the world, and there's something obstructing your path to get into God's family, and that's called sin. You were born into sin, and you chose sin. The wall was already there, and you slapped more bricks on it by your choices. It's standing between you and God, and only Jesus can take it away. 
The Bible here in this book talks about what God did to our sin. What did he do to our sin? But you have to understand and admit that there is a sin problem before you'll know your need for a Savior. When I think of an obstruction, I'm still reveling in the Stanley Cup championship of our Blackhawks. But what was it that stood in the way of us winning that cup? Here it is. Who's that? It's Bishop. What is he, like eight feet tall? He's like Goliath. Look at that. He could defend the goal with just his lower half. He's that tall. He can just go, yeah, ching, bam. You're not scoring on me. He's huge. Look at this next picture. There's a Black Hawk and a Lightning player under him. Saad is stuck under that guy. That, that is standing in the way of us on our goal, our championship, right? But did you see, was it in game five where he fall down? And then what happened? There was an empty net. <laughs> That's not sharp, but that gives you the idea that there's this empty net. Guess what? I could make that shot. Ding! I can make that shot all day long. Why? Nobody's in the way. Bing! 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 Cane wraparound. Bing! I could stand there all day and make that shot because there's nothing obstructing my path. This is the spiritual idea. When you're born, there's something in the way, something bigger than Bishop, in the way. You can't get to God. You can't get to God unless Jesus comes and takes your sins away. Then there's an empty net. Then there's nothing, listen, nothing obstructing your relationship with God. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Christ, there is nothing obstructing your relationship to God anymore. He took it away. What love is this? Write this down, though. It started with a crisis. It started with a crisis. It says here, you are pure. It happened at some point. You became pure. And there's, there's a contrast here. In verse 4, it says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning. So there's this group over here called the world. They make a practice of sinning. They do not want to let go of their sin. They're just walking the same old way with sin. They lie to themselves and think they're children of God, but they're deceived. Because they make a practice of sinning. They won't be honest, admit they have a sin problem. They don't think they need Jesus to save them. They think they're saved children of God, but they're deceived. This book of the Bible wants to zero in on the person who thinks they're going to heaven as a child of God, but they're really going to hell with the world. And listen, you ever see those movies where there's a laser pointer going along, you know, going on the guy's forehead? You know that? Somebody's got a gun and there's a laser, and then somebody's like, dude! Doc! Doc! You're the laser pointer's like right in your head. Where? 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 Listen, this is what the Bible's doing to some people in this room right now. God's got a laser on your forehead and he's saying, you think you're my child. You think you're going to heaven, but you keep on sinning. You don't know my son. You can't stand Christians. You're deceived. You're deceived and you're not my child yet. You're not my child yet but he wants you to be. It starts with a crisis. When you realize that you're over here, there should be a crisis. God's not my father. I'm not his son. When he comes back, I'm going to shrink back in shame and he will never let me in the house. Crisis! How do I get over there? 
There's only one answer. Only Jesus can bring you over there, but there's this sin problem. The good news is, I already told you that Jesus wants to wash away your sins like it's mud. Jesus wants to take away your sins like it's bishop. Another way that I can put it to you is, Jesus wants to blow up your sins. Um, It says, we're not going there in the sermon, but it says in verse 8 of chapter 3, what Jesus did, it says, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? What makes him so special? He's the only one who can blow up everything sin ever did in your life. There you are, standing in front of a huge monument of failure, sin. You can't get rid of it. And Jesus comes into the world to blow it up. Imagine like a dam. Imagine like a dam that's stopping up a river. Imagine the river is like everything God wants to send streaming into your life. The dam is like your sin. Jesus comes and blows it up so God can flow everything into your life that he wants. This is like a man's sermon, right? So do you watch Duck Dynasty? For Father's Day, I could talk to you about Duck Dynasty, right? How many of you watch Duck Dynasty? Did you see the episode where they blow up that beaver dam? See, so there's this beaver dam that's blocked up the whole river or creek or whatever, and so their idea, their brilliant idea is to coat it in napalm, and then, well, I'll show you the video. Here's, here's what they did. That is a crossbow. I can't believe it. You missed that whole beaver down. Oh, hey, 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 hey. That, that's a beautiful picture of what happens to your sin. You're here. The river of God's blessing and salvation is stopped up because of all of your sin. It just, just imagine it. Imagine there being this heaping pile of trap. This, all of your failures as a man, all of your failures as a father, all of your failures as a husband, all of your failures in life towards God. Imagine it's this massive, ugly, hideous, filthy, impenetrable pile, and Jesus blows the whole thing up for you. All of it, flaming ashes coming down of the wreckage you've made of your life because he blows it up and then God's blessing flows in. That has to happen in this life. That's the crisis you face right now. And if it hasn't happened, you're still over here and you ain't getting over there unless Christ does something about it. Jesus takes away our sin. He washes us of iniquity. He destroys and demolishes what sin builds in our lives. Only Jesus can do this. It starts as a crisis. Now, this is where people get it backwards. Write this down. It continues as a process. So it says in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice, that means I ain't giving my sin up. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus, to take away sins. In him there is no sin. Verse 6. Now here's a black and white truth that John likes to throw down. No one, so I'm, I'm over here now. No one who abides in him, that means is in his family. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now that's kind of a scary verse. Because I, I keep on sinning. I don't know if you do. I, I still sin. Maybe you're done with that. 
I keep on sinning. So I look at that and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, am I in in the wrong group? Clearly, though, this doesn't mean that I'm sinless yet because he already told me that when Christ comes back, he's going to make me like him, right? And I'm in process. So when he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, what that means is keeps on sinning like you're a slave to sin, like you make a practice of sin, like you have no plans to change your love affair with sin. So now I can say that's true. I I don't keep on sinning like I used to before Christ. I don't still have that bondage to sin, that love affair with sin, that you're never going to change. That's not true of me anymore. I'm different. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now over here, no one who keeps on sinning, don't judge me. Don't tell me how to live my life. You Christians think you know everything. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. This group has never seen Christ or God, never known him, never will. But there's a process. You see, it says, he appeared to take away sins. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Each day, Christ is going to start making you new. You're not going to keep on sinning like you used to. He's going to teach you new righteous deeds. He's going to take away old sinful habits. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. So the fruit proves the root. The fruit of a changed life proves the root is truly in Christ. Imagine yourself, there's an anchor. You're chaining together proof after proof after proof that you are chained to Christ. Christ is the anchor. The links prove that your ship is chained to Christ and you are anchored forever. Over here, these people are adrift at sea. There might be a dangling chain in the water and they do a few good deeds, every, but it's not attached to anything that can save them. But the saved person will constantly show connection to Christ through a changed life. It continues as a process. It's really important that you understand that it starts with a crisis because some people live this whole life spiritually backwards. They think this whole life... If I start here, this whole life is a process where I'm going to learn faith and do religion and become a good person. And then as I hike up this mountain, then I'll end up over here. And then when I stand in front of the heavenly gates and and St. Peter checks the book, he'll say, wow, come on in, you've done it. And then the crisis comes. That's backwards. The crisis comes now. You don't wait your whole life to find out if you're going to heaven. You don't try your whole life to please God Right here, right now, you look at the truth. You can't get there without Jesus. You fall on your face and you say, I need a Savior to cleanse me, to forgive me, to blow up everything sin's built in my life, to help me fulfill righteousness. Then Jesus takes it all away and you have safe passage right here, right now, into God's family. The crisis is now. The process can't even begin until you enter into God's family through adoption. You can become more and more like Jesus each day, but only after he puts his spirit in you, and he does that once you have faith in him. Let me talk to a few people here today. Hey, are you, are you a child of God? Do you know that you know that God is your father? Do you have a story of a time when God demolished all this sin in your life? Have you been baptized publicly and professed your faith to the church? God is your father. 
Your future is set. Jesus is coming back to make you like him. That's good news. Right now, whatever you're going through, we are his children. He loves you. Nothing you can do can ruin that. In your past, it doesn't matter what you've done. Christ made you pure. God didn't sign your adoption certificate in pencil. Not mine. Mistake. He's not going to erase you. He's not going to send you away. He signed it in ink. You're his. You're in his family. I just want you to so appreciate the love God has for you today. He is your perfect heavenly father. But those of you who maybe walked into this room today and you don't even know where you stand with God. You didn't even know what you believed about God. Maybe you even thought you were fine, but now based on what God's word says, you don't even know. Hey, listen. God wants you to know that you're stuck in sin, but he did something about that. Maybe you've been wondering, where's God been all my life? Now you know. He's been trying to get Christ into your life to save you. It starts when you repent of your sin, trust Christ as your Savior, and God calls you into his family. And you know what? That can happen today. You can come into this room not knowing the love of God, not being one of his children, and you can walk out as a family member forever. But you have to trust Jesus to take away your sin problem, to get rid of that obstruction that's preventing you from knowing God. You have to trust him. Maybe today's the day that you want to know how great a love that God the Father has for you. He sent his son into the world from heaven. His son lived the perfect life. His son died on the cross to take away your sins. They put him in a tomb. They rose him up on the third day. Up he went into heaven in front of witnesses, and he is now seated at the right hand of God. He's your only chance. Only the Son can bring you to the Father. Hey, maybe you've been waiting for too long. Maybe today's the day that you receive the love of God through Jesus Christ, his Son. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. What a great love you do have for us, Father. For those who are already Christians, We just take this day to say, thank you. Father, thank you. What love you had to send your son into this world, knowing what would happen to him, knowing how we would treat him, knowing that we would reject him and butcher him and nail him to a tree, you sent him. That kind of love is not of this world. And Father, we are so grateful. We love you so much for the love that you've sent to us. And we know you're not done with us yet, but one day you will be. One day we'll be perfect, and we thank you for this promise. But Lord, I know there are some here who maybe are unsure where they stand with you. Maybe they thought you were their father, but now based on your word, they're not so sure. Maybe they can't quite explain a time in their past where you changed them and saved them. Lord, maybe there are some here right now who want the love of the Father. They want to be known as a child of God, and they're ready. Maybe you're awakening their hearts to their need. And Spirit, I just pray that you would call them unto salvation. Transform them through faith. And if that's you, if you're saying, I want this, I know I don't have it, I just want to pray with you right now. I don't want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. I want you with your eyes closed in your own heart to pray with me to God the Father who loves you right now. Say this in your own heart. Say, Father... Forgive me, for I have sinned. My sins are separating me from you. 
but I believe you sent Jesus to take my sins away. I want to know you. So Jesus, come into my life, wash me clean, and give me hope that I will be like you when you return. Jesus, take away my sin so that I don't have to fear judgment. Jesus, welcome me into the divine family so that I can know the love of the Father. Save me, and then begin transforming me again to be like you. Father, for any who prayed that this morning, I just pray that you would fill them with your love, with the reassurance, Lord, from your word. Never will you leave them. Never will you forsake them. And I pray that the day will come soon when they will publicly testify of their faith in you. The crisis will be over. This is our prayer to our Heavenly Father in Jesus' name.